This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in your podcast app. I am very happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I am the, actually, my new title is Director of Clinical Support. My name is Karen Bohal Ortega. And as mentioned, I'm from Support for Families of Children with Disabilities in San Francisco. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and a proud parent of two little kids. Um, So I wanted to start by saying, um, not only am I thankful for coming here today, but I wanted to talk a bit about what we learned through our ACEs Aware project at Support for Families, in particular uh, in regards to adversity, trauma, family-driven support, and the use of the PEARLS screening. So quick plug for Support for Families, since I've heard it come up just in the last five minutes a few times. Uh, We are a community-based agency supporting families, children, and youth impacted by diverse abilities, disabilities, and special health care needs. We offer support uh, for families through parent-to-parent mentoring, advocacy opportunities, and actually educational support for not only our families, but for community-based providers as well. Uh, For today, there are no disclosures, no financial or non-financial relationships to disclose. All right. And so for our ACEs project, um, at Support for Families, we actually embarked in an ACEs Aware project last year. I imagine most folks are aware of what ACEs are, adverse childhood experiences, and the PEARLS, which is the Pediatric ACEs and Related Life Events Screener. So for folks who are a little bit less familiar, I wanted to let you know that these screening tools, they help us gauge the cumulative adversity that someone has experienced over time. What we know is that high levels of cumulative adversity often lead to negative health outcomes later in one's life. So being able to screen for adversity is key to helping us link folks to the support that they need. So as a grantee for the ACEs Aware Initiative, we worked collectively with UCSF, General Hospital and a group of diverse families to develop a training series focused on understanding how families, children, and youth impacted by disability are often impacted by ACEs and risk factors for toxic stress, how to use this information as well as best practices within the disability service system, and the importance of highlighting the family perspective and family stories throughout that process in order to enhance parent-provider relationships. So why us? Um, You know, I think it's important to acknowledge that when we think about ACEs and PEARL screening, why us? Why include a disability service provider in this conversation? Why include folks who experience disability in this conversation? So I wanted to point out 12% of children and youth have a diverse ability, disability, or special health care need. So that's more than one in 10 children. So chances are that a lot of folks are actually supporting, encountering, and serving more folks impacted by disability than we might think. Even more so, disability impacts all communities, race, sexual orientation, class, education, religion, tribal affiliation, and other identities. And often folks within the disability community they face high levels of adversity, which I'll explain more on the next slide. So children and youth are impacted by disability and they often, as I said, have a higher risk to encounter adversity and trauma than their typically developing peers. So this list is not exhaustive, but I wanted to go through some of the reasons why we often see that. 
So a child or youth with a disability may be socially isolated, have difficulty community, communicating and connecting with others. They might rely on assistance with the most intimate of personal hygiene activities. And sadly, this often offers more opportunity for perpetrators to enact abuse and neglect. Children and youth may encounter food and housing instability, as well as financial insecurity. When we think about the costs of services that are provided and the potential loss of income for our caregivers, while they have to go and attend to all of these appointments and pick their children up and leave work to do that, it definitely can have a financial impact on families. Um, a child or youth might live in a household with high levels of family stress. You know, when we think about living with someone who's impacted by disability, it can be challenging on family dynamics, on siblings, on parental relationships, and especially when we see behavioral challenges that are presented for the child. Um, also, children and youth with disabilities might encounter discrimination, bullying um, associated with the disability or other existing identities. And lastly, I wanted to point out that when we deal with chronic medical conditions or medical complexity, um, that can result in a crisis or need to go to seek medical care often, which can be really traumatizing in itself for a lot of families. So ACEs screening to PEARLS. When we think about ACEs screening and PEARLS, I wanted to highlight why the use of the PEARLS screening is so important in the disability community. So on the left, we have our 10 traditionally identified ACEs. And it's really common for us to see experiences of abuse, neglect, and household challenges in the families we serve for many reasons described in the previous slide. But what makes the PEARLS unique is part two of the screener, in particular, the community aspect. So unlike the ACEs screening for adults, the PEARLS actually extends the experiences beyond the traditional 10 ACEs to include bullying, discrimination, and food housing instability. So when we think about the use of the pearls, we are now able to actually account for these important factors so that we can start to begin taking them into consideration as we work with our families to secure the needed support. So intersectionality, when we start thinking about this community aspect as just mentioned, it elevates that intersectionality has a place in the pearls. We know that disability crosses all communities and that children, youth, and families impacted by disability often hold multiple identities. And I wanna say this, in fact, having a disability is often an identity in itself. I know a lot of times it's person first language, but we have a lot of folks who also identify as an autistic person. So sometimes that disability itself can be seen as an identity for someone. Um, and this is where the intersection comes into play, which I'll touch on a bit more in a moment. So ableism, I wanna take a moment to talk about ableism. I think a lot of us kind of understand it, but don't always kind of name it in that way. And ableism, it's the belief that a fully functioning body and mind are the norm for a human being. And it impacts individuals much like racism does. It comes in many forms. And most commonly we look at ableism in terms of physical environment and society's expectations and norms. And so when I think about the physical environment piece, we often see inaccessibility. So trouble getting into a building, lack of universal design and transportation. You know, an example, I still live in a community that doesn't have sloped corners on the sidewalks. And with folks who are utilizing a wheelchair or mobility needs, 
sometimes they have to go an additional three to four blocks just to get to a place where they can cross the street. When we shift to societal expectations and norms, that's when people start to place judgment on folks who don't appear in a certain way, who don't behave in a way that's expected, who maybe don't communicate how we expect folks to communicate. And even sometimes the way that we think or process things is seen as different than the mainstream culture, which is judged by others. And so when we think about ableism, especially in children and youth, discrimination, um, bullying, coming out from the judgment of others and being put on the folks who have the disability. When you combine ableism and racism, so that's that intersectionality piece, our families who hold multiple identities, they grapple with overt and implicit bias from others. And this can actually come from providers and systems that are meant to help, but instead actually harm. So we often see this in challenges with language barriers, both access to written materials in one's native language and access to timely interpretation. We see families sometimes wait when it comes to an IEP or something like that months before they're able to get an interpreter or the paperwork in their native language. Um, lack of flexible employment to attend appointments, which I mentioned before, and the preschool to prison pipeline where young children of color in particular with disabilities are often expelled, suspended, or not given access to needed early care, which then has a detrimental effect on long-term outcomes. So I wanted to take a moment to actually share a story from one of the families who participated in this project. Um, so this, I'm gonna introduce you to Dona Maria Sanchez. She is a mother and advocate and insightful leader that worked on our project, she and her son, Pedro, they've been navigating service systems for years and have been impacted by ableism and racism. So I wanna point out in this video, Maria will make reference to the levels of anxiety felt throughout her family due to Pedro's special healthcare need, the impact that language and immigration status has had on her experience of the healthcare system. And Maria will also spotlight the importance of asking families about adversity and we'll mention helpful strategies to support families in this process. My name is Maria Sanchez and I have two kids, uh, one daughter 20 and my son who is 18 has a cerebral palsy and we live in San Francisco. I have been living here 26 years when I come from my country. Pedro is special because since he was a baby, he never like uh, give up. He was always trying to progress himself. And since then, every time the therapist put a new child. Sorry about that. It stopped on me. There we go. Challenge for him, he's passed. He now is walking with uh, my hand. He's uh, using a power wheelchair and he drives himself. When he was like little baby, we went to the emergency room like at one time a week because he cannot breathe. But the problem was when I get to the urgent care or emergency room, sometimes there was people that don't speak Spanish. And at that time, I don't speak any word in English. Only word I remember now, it was like, I'm sorry, you have to wait for a translator. Because uh, every time I go see a doctor, I have to explain again and again like the same situation and it takes time you know like to explain everything and since he have a anxiety he's not able to stay full-time at school 
and I had to be around just in case something happened or he make a tantrum. And also I had to include my, my daughter on it when she was little. She never told me uh, until now that she's a grown up, that uh, her classmates uh, make fun of Pedro. And, and she was like seven and she keep it to herself. Uh, but it really affects her. So she started with uh, anxiety when she was like 12. And thankfully we got help. I ignore my, my stress. And when he was like 14, I started having a really bad anxiety attacks, panic attacks. And uh, I was like, nothing happened to me, I'm okay. But there is a point when you have to see a doctor. We don't accept that it's hard because we cover our pain our needs because our kid needs our full attention. But since I got more sick and more sick with the anxiety, finally I went to the doctor. I re they got a referral for me for, to see a therapist and I'm seeing this therapist only for four years and Pedro's 18. So I have a lot of work to do. It's gonna take a time to heal. I remember seeing another mom that my sister comes and help me or somebody comes and, uh, and do the job for me. And I have not, nobody. I mean, for real, there was nobody around me. I think my marriage was already broken when Pedro was uh, born, but I was not a, in a happy marriage. I have some domestic violence. And uh, finally, uh, and thankfully, we got separate. He don't really understand uh, the situation, so it, I had to do it myself. I remember when Pedro was a baby, before they ask you if you're doing okay, they give you a questionnaire and they always put it like how you feel. And remember, if we think Pedro is in danger, we have to call the police. So before they really ask you person to person, say, how are you doing? First, they give you this paper and it's like a, something like, don't tell me anything. Don't tell me that you are so tired. Don't tell me that you don't sleep for two days. Because if you tell me that, I'm gonna call the uh, CPS. The thing that scared me most was uh, during the time when I don't have the papers, uh, there was always a rumor that if immigration got you and Pedro and Mariah, they are USA citizen, they will take them away from me. And I had to deal this for years and years. And I was trying to avoid uh, going places because I was so scared that they're gonna take my son from me. I think uh, that's why we need to start having this relationship. So there's gonna be a point like right now with my doctor that I can t call doctor and say, this is happening. And the doctor will say, okay, what you need to me to do? So I wish all the doctors well, is like this doctor because he really uh, provide everything needs right now. But you have to think about that Pedro is almost 19. This it was not happening when he was a little boy. I think I got it because with the time and my work and my effort to advocate for Pedro, but not everybody is able to do that because um, some people, the language barrier, I feel like maybe the doctors can tell you that, don't worry, I'm here, I'm gonna be for you here and maybe they, we can open up. If one of the doctors they are in this, uh, watching this get something from my experience and use it in another new families, I will be happy. I wish I got this kind of help when he, Pedro was a baby. We love our kids, oh yeah, we love them.
败才。Okay. Every time I see that,、uh, love Maria.、Um, so through the family voice,、uh, this was crucial to our project,、uh, lifting up family voice and stories.、Um, and some major themes really came to light when we were thinking about what families believe providers should know before using the parole screening. So first. Families of children and youth with diverse abilities, special health care needs, they already hold a level of elevated fear of CPS. As Maria mentioned, will they take my child away? Will they take them away because they have a disability? Did I cause the disability? If I mention adversity, does it make me seem unfit as a parent? Secondly, folks wanted to know, they wanted folks to know that. Historical treatment by the healthcare system it impacts trust. In particular, communities of color that have been mistreated, experienced disparities in service, or have felt unheard or seen by their healthcare system are fearful of engaging in conversations around adversity and trauma. And lastly, ableism and racism they fuel how families are seen by others, and families are aware of this. It's something that they deal with and encounter daily. So, what do families need during the screening process? During the parole screening process, so our families spoke about authenticity from professionals, so warmth and genuineness. They looked at: Is my child's provider kind? Do they seem to genuinely care about their well-being? They wanted to see transparency and openness, and that was mentioned by Maria. Where will the information go in a parole screening? How will it be used? Folks are reluctant to give accurate information unless they know where it'll go, how it'll be used. Does it stay in my medical file? Many of the families felt much more comfortable agreeing to provide de-identified results on a screener, so the number of adverse experiences can be recorded, but the specific experiences are actually not identified. And from what we know in ACE's research, the most important aspect is understanding the level of cumulative adversity, but not necessarily the particular ACE. So this works just as well. And families expressed a desire to have time to talk and to ask questions without feeling rushed. And I liken this to attuning to the caregiver and the child's pace. So understanding that discuss discussing trauma, discussing adversity, it takes time and it takes thoughtful dialogue. And families want to be respected as caregivers. Families are coming to providers to seek medical expertise, but families hold the expertise for their children. And it's important for providers to show a balance of concern and support for both the child and the caregiver's wellness. I always work from the perspective that to help a child, you have to help the family because they are a unit. Families felt that a focus on their strengths was vital, and instead of feeling like they are failing in the eyes of others. They feel uplifted when their strengths are seen, and then lastly, families wanted to feel a sense of hope that things can get better. So I hope the information presented today is something that folks will sit with, consider as we start to normalize the use of parole screening. You know, this information came from families, and it provides a real context for what many folks within the disability community experience and need in their care. So I'd like to leave you with this quote from one of the families in our project, and I highlight this because it's very similar to what Maria mentioned in her video. And I truly believe that we can transform the way we do things to create a positive experience, while we also discuss some extremely challenging life experiences such as ACEs. 
So if I can change one person's experience by sharing my story and needs, then I've done what I came here to do. Thank you for listening to me today and having me in this space. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.com.